Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Hey, this is Mike Ayala. I'm all about helping people find financial freedom. And one of the best and fastest ways to grow your wealth and achieve financial freedom is through real estate investing. I know, I've done it. I'm still doing it. Real estate investing is a key component to accelerating my earnings. And I want to share my knowledge and experience with you through my new real estate accelerator program. This is a one-time only program that puts you in the virtual room with me and an awesome small group of investors with one goal in mind, financial freedom through real estate investments. I'll demystify the complicated world of real estate investing to help you identify money-making opportunities and create profitable new income sources. This course is designed to help guide you to success with clear instruction, direct takeaways, and honest answers to your questions. We'll chart a path to your success in real estate investing together. Anyone from the novice to the seasoned investor can profit from my experience to achieve their investment goals. The nine-week course kicks off this January. Sign up now at earnwithrealestate.com. That's earnwithrealestate.com. Let's do this together. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, we've got a guest on the show who I have been chasing for a while. So I think we're in for a treat. Um, Kurt and I have had um, just many conversations over the last few years. I met Kurt through GoBundance and uh, I was just telling him off camera that I, I've been excited for this interview because Kurt is just one of those um, salt of the earth guys. Everywhere he goes, he brings big energy. He's always full of joy. He's always involved in the conversation. And I, I think we're just going to have a, a great chat today. And, you know, in many areas too, I just feel from uh, just even watching from afar, a lot of our values and interests align. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to have Kurt on. So Kurt, I appreciate you being here, brother. Yeah, no problem, Mike. Excited to be here, buddy. So I, again, have been watching you um, from a distance. Uh, tell me, you just had, you just had a baby. Yeah, we just had our fourth child. Uh, so we just had a little girl. She's three months old. Um, she spent about 12 days in the, in the NICU. So we had a little bit of scare at the beginning. Um, but yeah, she's doing great now. Uh, extremely healthy and, and mom's doing wonderful as well. So we're very blessed. And that's our fourth and last child. We're done. <laughs> nice. You know, um, I, I, I don't bring this up a lot, but uh, when we had our our first son, who's now 21, um, the doctors, when they did the first ultrasound, which it's crazy how, you know, it still blows my mind how advanced medicine was even then. And I mean, obviously it's come so much further, but when we did the first ultrasound, which I think was at 12 weeks or something like that, the doctor was kind of like, Whoa, something's wrong here. And we're like, what? And anyway, I'll make a long story short. Um, essentially he had like this, uh, basically his body tried to form a second esophagus, but they didn't know what it was. And so through, through oh, the wow. whole, yeah, through the whole pregnancy, we were having to go to, you know, Salt Lake and I was literally a plumber at that point in time. I'm 20 years old and, um, it was, it was tough, man. We look back at those times and, you know, he ended up being, he had to be born at primary children's center. Cause they just didn't know if, when he took his first breath, if he was going to be able to breathe. And, um, so they didn't want him being born in Elko and basically they were going to life flight her if she went into labor, all this stuff. And when he was born, wow. he actually could breathe, which, you know, that was, it was our first child and, you know, just when you hear your first child, uh, scream and take their breath, that's amazing anyway. But 
the fact that he was screaming, I knew he could breathe and was okay. And, but then he ended up having <laughs> to have surgery when he was two months old. And here's the reason why I'm saying all this. Like I can totally relate to, you know, as a parent, that's like the hardest thing in the world. Just when you can't do anything for your child and you're, you know, oh, putting them, putting them yeah, in the hands of these doctors, like it's crazy. Yeah, it's brutal. You, you're, you're helpless. And then they can't, you know, communicate with you and tell you what's wrong. Like an adult could or an older kid could. So the, just the whole thing that, that helpless feeling it's, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Um, any, I know it's still, you know, pretty, pretty close to all of it, but any, any major life lessons did, you know, I see a lot of times this tears couples apart, but I mean, it seems like you guys probably just watching from the outside. I mean, probably pulled you guys closer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like anything else, I mean, you look back and you're like, you know, that's part of the journey and you don't ever want to be in those situations. You want everybody to be happy and healthy forever, but you know, that's not life and that's not reality. And, you know, we had some amazing, amazing nurses as NICU nurses are just unbelievable what they do every day. And, uh, we had a great hospital over here in Florida, which, uh, really helped us. And, um, yeah, it was just a blessing to have all those people on our side and taking care of our baby. So everything's good now though. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's great. She's super healthy, you know, beautiful little girl. So we're very lucky. Cool. Well, let's jump in, uh, jump into the four questions. So who has had the greatest impact on your life? So I would say, you know, besides saying the obvious wife and kids, I would say my grandmother, um, on my mom's side would be probably the biggest influence of my life. Uh, she passed away when I was in college, but she helped raise us because my, my parents got divorced when I was young. So she was always like a second mother to me and she was poor. She, her husband had left her, um, when she was a young mother of four. So he just like went out and got milk and never came back. I never met him. Um, so she had to raise four kids of her own, you know, didn't have any money. And she was just such, she was just the most caring woman in the world, just like a saint, you know, and she was just like a hard worker. She'd come over to our house and I mean, she'd literally cook every meal for us, clean the entire house. She was just a workhorse and she just never really had any money, but that's not where she found her happiness, you know, she found it in us and her family and just seeing that example that, you know, we talk, I love talking about money, I love talking about financial freedom, but at the end of the day, you can be a happy, wonderful person without money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not that I ever want to be poor, but it, it was just a great example to show me that you don't need all that stuff to be happy. You don't need all that stuff to show up for your family and be there. Um, you know, you can do it without those resources. And, um, she was just a wonderful example of all of those things for me. It was pure. I mean, I, I mean, most people, the grandparents and your grandparents, it's, it's, it's just one of the examples of unconditional love mm. that you can have with a grandparent, you know, cause I mean, as, as a parent with your kids, you know, you're strict with them and you know, you're you, sometimes with your parents, you feel like your parents, you know, are giving you a hard time or don't love you as much but with your grandparents it's just that unconditional love. And it's just like, I don't know. Just, she was one of those people that I've just, I think about all the time still. And you know, she died 25 years ago. Wow. Yeah. It's such a uh, interesting point on, you know, the things and the money and the possessions. And 
I, my, my oldest is 21 and my middle son's 19 and my youngest is going to be 18 next week, actually. And, you know, I've just been reflecting on that and that just kind of, you know, pushed, drove something even, you know, the, the things that I used to think about and really appreciate, um, man, I'm, I, you know, what I appreciate most right now is, you know, little things like my, my, my compound bow, because my oldest son is back into, you know, bow hunting again. And, uh, that's the kind of stuff that, like. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting point, man. If you could narrow, yeah, I think she, I, I think she passed away with a, you know, she, her house was a little, a small house was paid for hmm. and it was like a $50,000 house. So her, you know, estate was $50,000 just from the house that, you know, 15 people split up. So it was definitely, um, I, that was not my inheritance was the money. It was, <laughs> it was her, you know, and her, her wisdom and just her heart. That was so good. That was uh, the special thing. I love it, man. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? I would say, I really would say reading. Um, and I, I was a big reader as a child. And then once I started being told what to read in, uh, in early high school and, and throughout the beginning of college, I really stopped reading. I, didn't, I don't think I read a full book in all of high school in the first two years of college. But um, funny story when uh, I was at LSU in Baton Rouge and when I was I think 19 or 20 at Barnes and Noble opened up in Baton Rouge. It was the first one I had ever seen. And um, it was the first one in Baton Rouge. And I just thought it was the coolest place. And I was like, man, this is like a fancy library. I can go and buy a coffee and read all these books for free. And I would literally go there every single day. I would skip class and I would go to Barnes and Nobles, buy a coffee and just sit there and read business magazines, business books. Um, you know, a lot of them are kind of like get rich type of things, but a lot of them are real estate books. And I've just never quit that habit. I read every day. I probably read, I don't know, three hours a day, every day. Wow. And then I probably do another hour a day on audio books, listening to podcasts and, and audio books while I'm, while I'm walking in the forest or working out. So I would say that just reading and just absorbing information over time uh, through osmosis is that's been my number one thing. So I have so many questions <laughs> around what you just said, because, um, you know, again, just in engaging and interacting with you, I, I, I know you've, you know, shared a lot of the books that you read and, and your goals and we read a lot of the same stuff. And so a couple questions, number one, uh, I guess what's, what's the like top, maybe two or three books that have had the biggest like impact or change on you this year? Um, I'd say one is the, the comfort, the comfort crisis. And I don't know if you've read that book or not. It's about a, um, a guy's talking about how, you know, Americans are way too comfortable and our biggest, probably our biggest issue is that we're comfortable. We're lazy. We don't challenge ourselves mentally or physically. Um, and we're drowning. We're basically drowning in a sea of comfort. Um, you know, whether that's being sedentary, sitting at desk all day, sitting at cubicles or sitting in our car. Um, not having to do physical labor and not having to um, be out in any type of weather extremes. You know, even if it's freezing cold outside, you're probably inside with the heat on or you're outside with like 10 layers of clothes on mm -hmm. um, and just not challenging ourselves. And I just thought it was a really eye-opening book about uh, challenging yourself physically and mentally like humans have done for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And just the last, what, two or three generations, we've just turned that on its head and we just never challenge ourselves anymore. 
Wow. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And, you know, I've been just even reading a lot and uh, studying a lot on, you know, just creating stress in the body and all that. And it, it makes so much sense because, you know, I think sometimes we think that, uh, all stress is bad stress and it's just, it's not true. I think we need more pressure. So I'm definitely going to, I'm gonna get that book. What, what's one more? Uh, let me look right here in my little audible account and see what's a great one that I've read recently. Uh, comfort crisis. And let's see. I really like the Tim Grover books. Um, I just read his book winning and, uh, he's got some, he's, he's, he's excellent. I mean, he's, you know, he was the trainer for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Mm. And it kind of goes into that comfort crisis book. I mean, he just, he just talks a lot about, you know, being just an elite performer and what you have to do. I mean, it's not all fun and games. You know, a lot of it's the grind. I mean, you have to, you have to sacrifice a lot mm. um, to be at that elite level. You know, you're not just going to show up, you know, even if you're, an elite physical specimen. I mean, the amount of work that Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant did, I, I was never aware of it until I read these books. And it, it was just, they, their just mindset was just on a whole nother level. I mean, they, they were just obsessed with winning and obsessed with, with drive and just being like the, the absolute best at their game. And they didn't care what anyone else thought. You know, I call them wedge busters, like people that, you know, the wedge busters, like the guy on the kickoff team runs down and just, you know, just, um, hits anybody again, just demolishes everybody. He, he busts the wedge blockers. Um, I, <clears throat> football doesn't really have kickoff returns anymore, but it used to be a very popular <laughs> turn. And those are the people, those are the guys that were always crazy. They didn't care about their bodies. They didn't care about anything. They were just going to run down there and hit somebody and destroy their own bodies and destroy anybody else in their way. And I've always admired people like that that are just going to do something their way. And they don't care what anybody thinks. And it's, it's, uh, it's very refreshing, especially in today's society. I love it. So one more question on, um, you know, just the, the, what you talked about reading, you know, three hours a day and, uh, listening to podcasts and being out in nature. Um, I, I love that. Um, but I'm curious and I think my audience would probably be curious, like, you know, what is your, what does your day look like? Are you up at like 3am in order to carve out four or five hours of study time? Or have you created a life of freedom by intention to where I guess the real question is like, how much, how much do you work? <laughs> <laughs> so no, I did not wake up at 3am and I'm not one of those people that only needs four hours of sleep at night. I actually need at least eight hours or I'm very tired the next day. Mm. Um, I, I want to be one of those people that wake up at 5am. Um, I do sometimes, I, I usually probably wake up at six. Um, but my goal is to be one of those five, 5am guys. Um, but no, I just wake up and I work at home. So I, you know, roll out of bed and, you know, play with my little, my kids a little bit before they go to school. But I'm, I typically read until, you know, from 5am to 8am, 8.30. Um, you know, I live by the beach. So I either go for a walk or exercise on the beach or, you know, I have a 15,000 acre state forest right behind my house, like literally out my back door. Wow. So I spent a lot of time in the state forest, just um, hiking in the woods, listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts. I'm I'm actually doing that now. I'm in the forest right now, nice. and it just has a calming effect. And you know, I try to kill two birds with one stone. Exercise is uh, at the same time I'm listening to books. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big like 
sit down and read a book guy. Mm-hmm. I can sit down and read newspapers and, you know, online and everything, but um, I actually prefer audiobooks. That makes sense. So what, um, I, I know that this could be a, a, a drawn out question, but you, you've kind of built this life. You, you work from home. Most of your, I'm, I'm, this is an assumption, but most of your assets are in real estate. You got a bunch of rentals. Is that true? Yes. My main business is I own, um, uh, 20, I think 21 duplexes in new Orleans. And then I have a few short term rentals here in Florida. Um, I also invest in some syndication investments and some apartment complexes. Um, but my main two things are those duplexes in New Orleans, which are all long-term rentals. Um, and I have a few short-term rentals here in Florida. And then I also have one in Colorado. Nice. Did you, were you always like from a young age, were you always kind of in the real estate game or did you have like the W2 job and then had a, you know, I don't own my freedom epiphany. So I studied finance at LSU and then I became a financial advisor. Um, so I was in the corporate world for seven years in the financial services industry. Um, I became the uh, youngest CFP in the history of Louisiana. So I was a CFP, I think at 25 or 24 at the time. Um, and then when hurricane Katrina hit new Orleans in 2005, uh, my company at the time moved me to Dallas for a year. I kind of had some guilt about leaving new Orleans when it kind of got destroyed. So I ended up uh, moving back to new Orleans and, um, I was thinking of like, what would be a great business to start, you know, for all this hurricane relief that I knew was going to be happening. I knew a lot of money was going to be coming in the city between insurance, between government money. So I ended up starting a spray foam insulation business, which was completely out of my wheelhouse. I knew nothing about it. Had never dealt with insulation. I knew, I knew nothing about insulation, but I had had uh, spray foam installed at one of my rental properties. And I thought it was just one of the coolest products ever. So I started a company, um, almost went belly up in the first two months cause I didn't know what I was doing, but then I uh, turned it around and we became extremely successful. We insulated 3000 homes. Uh, we did some commercial well work as well and, um, did that for another seven years. And then I was completely burnt out of it. Um, I sold it for a very cheap price cause I just wanted out. I was about to shut it down cause I was just having the amount of stress of dealing with all the crews, all the employees, all the customers. I was just mentally done with it. And by that time I had had, I probably had, I don't know, 12 unit apartment units by that time. Uh, some of them were fully paid off. So I was, I was basically financially free. You know, I was not married at the time. I was single, no kids. So my expenses were low. So um, I sold that business and I just stopped working. So I basically for the first year, I really didn't do much. Um, I just hung out and did a little bit of real estate stuff. And then I really started uh, doubling down on the real estate investment business. Started buying a lot of properties, uh, doing renovations, keeping most of them. But, you know, we, we do some flips, some, uh, um, some wholetailing where we'd buy from wholesalers and sell at retail. And um, been doing real estate investments ever since. I love it, man. And, um, you know, I always talk about adjusting and I love that part of the story where, you know, once you're burnt out, you're so clear on what you want. Like so many people would have just, you know, kept going and be miserable with the insulation company and all of that. And I love, uh, this is why I think I just appreciate, you know, seeing the way you live your life. I love that you just, 
you, you just go for it and you just adjust. And so many people, when they set their goals and they set their intentions and, you know, they get seven years down the road and they realize that this isn't what I want anymore. They stay the course, um, when they're miserable. And, you know, it's one thing if you're miserable because you're miserable, but it's another thing if that life that you've built is making you miserable. And so many people, you know, will do that for 40 or 50 years. And I love that you just adjusted and, and moved on. So well done. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you have to learn like what you're, you know, learn about yourself. Um, I've learned that anything, doing anything more than two projects at once for me, it's just too much stress and I don't really like my day to day life. So if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. So now I only do one or two projects at a time and I love the lifestyle when I have more than that, I stress too much. And you know, if it's going to take a couple of years off my life, like what's the point? Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm not going to grind myself into, you know, bad health, bad relationships. Um, you know, I love to work. I would never want to just sit around and do nothing. Um, you know, I have two projects going on right now. Um, I learned that lesson when my wife and I, when we first got married, we actually took a year off and we went traveling around the world. And after about nine months, I felt like a complete bum, felt like a loser because I was not really doing anything or building anything. Uh, so that was a big lesson learned. Like, I feel like a man needs to have a trade, needs to have a job, needs to have a purpose. Um, you know, so, you know, if I had, if I was a billionaire, I still would work because, you know, I, I know that feeling of being, feeling like a loser and I don't ever want to feel like that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes so much sense. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? Maybe we already talked about this. I don't know. Um, I'd say my biggest setback was when I dropped a whole career at a well-paying job to start that insulation business, you know, I liquidated my, uh, Roth IRA at the time. And my, I took a loan against my 401k. Um, and I dropped a well, you know, great paying corporate gig. And, um, like I said, in the first two months, it almost completely failed. So that was my biggest setback. Um, and at that point it was kind of like, I burned my ships and I had to succeed. You know, I had to do it and, and I ended up doing it. I ended up pulling it together and, and it, it became a great success. And I, I'm actually glad I didn't have kind of a fallback plan because, you know, I had to succeed and I did. And I was young at the time and um, luckily I didn't have a wife or kids to support. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really, I didn't really have to spend any money on myself. Um, and that was, so that's when I look back and I'm like, you know, I had, I had a big problem. I could have, I could have quit and I didn't. And, you know, I came back and succeeded. I love it. Hey, this is Mike Ayala and Kara Ayala. Kara, I don't want to brag or anything, but I definitely label us as a high performing couple. Well, I, I wouldn't object to that. What I mean is we're aligned. We work together, we achieve together and we aim high in everything that we do. And we succeed together because we know how to support each other to make sure we reach those goals. Yeah. In business and in family life. It wasn't always that way, though, but we've grown and we've learned and just reap the rewards of learning to communicate better and working together in a very deep and valuable level. Yeah. And making our partnership thrive as a couple is something that has just accelerated our growth in a ton of ways. And that's why I'm so pumped to share that with other couples through our Next Level Couples Mastermind. Yes, I'm so excited about this because it's another thing that we get to build together. And it's something I wish we had for ourselves as a tool to use years ago. 
We've still got slots open for the Next Level Couples Mastermind, which we designed for high-performing couples who want to get in the room with us and other couples to focus on growth. Growing your relationships, partnership, your wealth, just growing everything by making that bond as strong as it can be. The Mastermind includes a couples mapping and goal-setting retreat in Austin, Texas, and just so much more. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so awesome. You can sign up today at nextlevelcouple.com. The event kicks off in January and spots are limited. Hope to see you there. So I'm always curious, um, what were a few of the things that you did? I mean, did you go like, you got this business that's failing, you know, you're, you're, you're new to, to the industry and the business. Did you go find a coach or a consultant? Did you read a book? How'd you get this thing turned around? I really didn't do either of those two things. What I did was I, uh, went out and I went to my supplier and I was like, Hey, I have a ton of business here, but I have no experience crews to do it. Can you hook me up with some crews out of state that would be willing to move here mm. and make a lot of money and partner up? So I ended up partner up, partner, partnering up with some uh, really good installers that were really, they were really bad at business, but they were great at installing and working with the product. I was bad at, installing and working with the product, but I was really good at the business and marketing part of it. So we teamed up and got a partnership going and that's when it really took off because these guys, you know, they had already insulated thousands of homes. Um, but they were just awful with business, awful with sales, awful with the, with marketing. And those were the skills that I had. Um, so basically I found, I found people that, we're good at things I was not good at and vice versa. And that's, that's when we're, our success really took off. That's amazing. And yeah. I, I love, I love hearing that because, you know, so many people in that position, in fact, um, you know, my, my first business that I was involved in with, I had a, a business partner and, you know, we were actually really good partners. Um, I was more of a visionary. He's more of the integrator, you know, like having the traction language, um, involved. We just didn't know it then. Um, but we were right. great, we were great business partners, but, you know, he was also like, he likes to do everything himself and be involved. And, and to your point, like that's what made him and I such great partners, but a lot of people in your shoes, in your position would try to just like fight through it. And I love there. There's such a lesson in there about like, okay, who do I need? And you know, a lot of us have read the book, who not how I coached with Dan Sullivan a few years ago. And when he first started sharing the who not how conversation, I was like, okay, this is something that I naturally do. And it's something that you naturally did. Um, but then when you start really like paying attention to it and, and really, uh, being more cognizant of it, you know, everything that you need is on the other side of another human. And I love that you just went out there, went to your supplier. That's such an amazing story. So I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah. There's a funny, funny little tidbit that I actually brag about this. I, um, I knew, I knew everything about the actual product. I knew exactly how it was supposed to be installed. Um, but I literally did not know how to turn the machine on. So we insulated 3000 homes and the owner of the company as the owner of the company, I literally did not know how to operate the equipment at all. Never did it once. And, and I told myself I can't do it. Cause if I do learn how to do it, I will probably want to take control and do it myself. And I knew that I couldn't run a business that way. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I've, yeah. I've had this same conversation. I was a plumber by trade. So I started a plumbing company, but then, you know, we started realizing that the same clients that were, our plumbing client would, they started calling us for HVAC. Hey, can you fix my furnace? Hey, can you fix my air conditioner? And the answer was no. And I just immediately started, okay, like how do I make the answer? Yes. Because the hardest thing in business is acquiring and keeping a customer. 
And so I went out and uh, hired my cousin who was an HVAC tech and he went and got the license. And, but I've said this for so many years um, because I actually enjoy the HVAC as far as a business goes. Um, I like the HVAC business even better than the plumbing business. And, uh, you know, I've had this conversation so many times, if my furnace or air conditioner breaks, I couldn't fix it if I wanted to, I wouldn't even know what, <laughs> I wouldn't even know what those parts are. <laughs> That's so. funny. Cause I assumed, I assumed you knew all about it since <laughs> you were in that. Yeah. You uh, ran some of those businesses. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I, there, seriously, there was, there was, um, a time last year where we were out of town and this is when I was still living in Arizona and we came home and the air conditioner wasn't working. And, um, I had forgotten to change my filters. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I had to call an HVAC company out and they're like, Oh yeah, your filters are dirty. And I mean, I'm telling you how dumb I am when it comes to, you know, actual HVAC systems, but I relate. And I love the point that you made too. Like you knew that you shouldn't learn how to turn that machine on because you know, that, that creates an easy place for you when you got too many jobs going on or whatever to just say, okay, I'll jump in here and take you away from your core business. And I don't know if you've ever right. read the e-myth. Um, did you yes, ever, I have. Yeah. And that's a great example because a lot of, you know, that whole premise in the e-myth is all about like the technician goes out and he starts his own company, but then he never really focuses on the business aspect because he's a technician or she's a technician. And I love the way that you looked at that because, um, you know, sometimes you just shouldn't know. And even if you do know, you should forget that, you know, and focus on the business. That's really good. Right. And my installers, I mean, they were, they were the best at what they did, but they were by the by the time I got to them, they were almost starving because they literally just did not know how to market their services. They did not know how to get customers and they were, you know, couldn't pay their bills. So, I mean, for them, it was just incredible too, because they just had, they didn't have to do any of that stuff. And I just gave them jobs and they, you know, did what they did best every day. And it was, it was a great partnership. That's awesome, man. What is the piece of advice that you find yourself sharing the most? I would say, there's different phases of life. You know, I did, I, I feel like I did a grind for, I did a 15 year grind between my corporate life, my insulation business, and then, you know, hard charging in the real estate investment business. Um, and I look back on that phase of life and, you know, it was a great time in my life, but I, I'm not there anymore. So I, I would, I would advise people that there are different phases in your life. You're not going to grind for 40 years. Mm. Um, nor should you want to. I'm in a phase of my life where my, I have four kids under seven. I don't want to look back and say I did not see them grow up. Um, so I'm in a phase right now where, you know, I still want to work and do a few things, but I want to see my kids every morning. I want to see, I see them every single day when they come home from school. Um, you know, I'm able to go on cool vacations with them. And that's the, that's the most important thing in my life right now is, is my lifestyle with my wife and my kids. And, and that's okay. I don't have guilt about that. And I think that comes from go abundance, you know, especially Tim Rhodes, um, that you don't, you know, there's, there are guys out there that, I, you know, sometimes I get a little jealous. I'm like, man, my friend Jordy looks like he's doing 50 projects at once. But then I'm like, man, I don't want to do 50 projects at once. <laughs> I want to do one or two. Yeah. Uh, but I see these guys grinding, and, and I think it's great. It, but I already did that. Yeah. I'm, I'm over that. I, I'm not doing that right now in this phase of my life. Maybe when my kids are gone, maybe I'll get back to grinding again. But, um, you know, don't be too hard on yourself if, uh, if you're in a different phase of your life. If you're in that grind phase, great. If you're in another phase where you want to um, – 
you know, your health is most important to you or you're or spending time with your family is most important to you. Um, do it, you know, if that's what you feel in your heart and, um, you know, don't judge yourself that, uh, you, you're, you're not willing to grind for your entire life. Cause I don't think we're meant to work too hard. I mean, that's how people, people kill themselves. <laughs> they work themselves into a grave sometimes. Yeah. I love it. You know, I've, I've, Karen, I've been having the same conversation because I'm actually, I'm grinding right now. And we've been talking about the phases of life because, you know, one of the main reasons why I started my company at, at 24 and, and you're so right in the sense that, you know, just pay attention to the phase that you're in. We had, um, you know, I was 21 when we had our first kid. And so I was really intentional, even when I was building out that business that was on the, you know, Inc fastest growing companies in America, we got to over a hundred employees. I was really cognizant about, um, same thing you did with the insulation company, um, leveraging, you know, other people, other talent, making sure I had the leadership team because I didn't want to miss games and, you know, events. And I wanted to be able to travel with my children, but now, you know, my kids are 21, 19, and the youngest is 18. And I'm just in a different season. And I love that advice. Um, you know, just paying attention to the season that you're in because yep. it's never right or wrong for, and it's not even really about anybody else. It's all about you and what you really want. So I love that you're so intentional around that. Yeah. And I, th I think GoBundance has been an important part of that. Just, you know, learning more about yourself and, and not looking at other men where they are at their life and trying to emulate them because everybody's in a different season. And, you know, at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for you and your family. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest regrets in, in, a, in a man's life, if you look at the world, would be working too hard while their kids are young. You know, it's a great thought. You're trying to earn for your family, of course, but, you know, you just do not want to have that regret of not seeing them grow up when you're, when you're older. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what you led with, with your grandma, you know, I mean, it's not always about, it's not always about more money and those kids don't really care about what kind of car you're driving or, you know, how many games they have or whatever else really at the end of the day, like just you being present, that's the, that's the most valuable gift. Right. Exactly. So, um, dude, really, really amazing what, what you've done and built. Um, I'm, I'm very inspired. Um, a couple more questions and I'll let you go. So what does freedom mean to you? So freedom for me means a saying what I want to say. Um, I think that there's a lot of people, especially in the world today, you know, feel like they cannot communicate what they want to say because they're, they're just afraid. They're afraid of either being canceled or afraid of being fired from their job or afraid of what other people's, what other people think about them. And, you know, so having that freedom, I, I think is, is, is important. Um, freedom to spend time with your family and your kids as much as you want to, um, you know, a lot of that goes to financial freedom, having, you know, taking your time back, not trading time for money, um, you know, time freedom for, I mean, financial freedom for me equals time freedom as well, you know, to have that freedom to, to walk in the forest every day. Um, you know, I don't have to wait till, till I'm on vacation to walk to the beach or walk to the forest or spend time with my wife and kids. You know, I have that freedom. Um, I forget what day of the week it is sometimes. Um, I mean, literally, like, I love it. I have to think, I actually have to look right now. It's Thursday. That's <laughs> um, awesome. 
because a lot of times my, and, and sometimes that's a negative, you know, a lot of people probably enjoy their Saturdays a lot more than me because my Saturday, you know, besides having my kids home from school, it's not really that different from Monday for me. That's so amazing. I don't really have those highs and lows of the week. Um, I never have the Sunday night blues. You know, I look forward to Monday morning. I love Monday morning. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my definition of freedom, having time, freedom, having freedom to go where you want, when you want and, and freedom to have, um, um, spend as much time with your, your friends, family, and your kids as, as possible. Time, freedom, freedom of speech. And, and what about, uh, the second amendment? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a given, I but, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm big on that as well. That's cool. Uh, one last question and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, what's one thing you used to do yourself that you now pay someone else to do to create more freedom? Um, that is a great question. Now I will say, I do firmly believe that it's good for a man to do some things for himself that do not make financial sense. Mm. And, and, and for me, it's like, like my new little hobby is I've found some really cool pieces of uh, live oak in the forest and I've been sanding them down and sealing them and making kind of cool looking, almost looks like driftwood art pieces. Mm. And there's no reason I should be doing that. Like I could probably go buy one at the little beach store down the street that are nicer than mine, but I feel good doing it. It's, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I can't describe it. It's like any hobby, I guess. I just feel good doing it. I feel a sense of accomplishment when I do it. Um, so I'm a firm believer that whether that's for you is cutting your grass, whether you like getting on that lawnmower and cutting your grass or whether you like hanging sheetrock every once in a while or, painting your house. I will never tell a man like you should never do that because I think as a man, you need to have that sense of accomplishment. You need to do some things physically with your hands. Mm -hmm. I think it's just healthy for you, your mind and your body. Um, but to answer that question, you know, there's some things I could do myself that I, that I don't do. Um, you know, I don't ever work on cars. I don't like working on cars. Mm -hmm. Like that's, gives me zero satisfaction. So I would never like, I don't like touching cars. I mean, like I don't like washing my car. I don't like dealing with my car. I don't like fixing your car. So things like that, that I don't like doing, I will never try to do myself and I'll just, I'll pay somebody that likes doing it or pay somebody that's better than me at, at doing it. But, um, I do believe that you should do some things for yourself. Um, just because it makes you feel better. I like that. I, um, I love gardening. <laughs> and yeah. obviously I could go to the grocery store and buy vegetables for, you know, much, much cheaper than my time's worth. But yeah, that's one of the, I like getting my hands dirty and just being out there. It's peaceful. It's calming. Um, yeah. we were actually laughing at this last night at the go abundance, uh, Christmas party. Cause I love to garden. Yeah. I, I don't love like gardening, but I love planting trees. I, I've probably planted with my own hands, I don't know, 250 trees in new Orleans. And some of them are, uh, there's, there's one tree in particular I'm thinking of right now. I planted a month after Katrina hit. So I call it my Katrina, uh, tree and it's a, it's a live Oak. It's probably 50 feet high now. And it's just a cool tree. And I'm like, I, I drive past it's, a, it's near one of my rental properties and I drive past it every once in a while when I'm in new Orleans. And I'm like, 
I planted that tree. It's like 50 feet high now. It's cool. And I always remember when I planted it right after Hurricane Katrina. So it gives me a sense of accomplishment. And that's one of the things I like doing. I like planting a tree and watching it grow. So good, man. Kind of a, feels like a parable for your life. Well, I appreciate your time, brother. It's been very inspiring. Um, Keep doing what you do. Keep showing up the way you do because um, you probably don't hear it enough, but I know you're a light to so many people. Um, I've heard so many people say amazing things about you. So um, if anybody does want to interact with you, where, where, where would they go find you? Or are you just, um, do they have to come to Florida? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can come to the beach and, uh, in Florida and look me up. Now I'm on Instagram, Kurt B-U-C. So Kurt with a K B-U-C. That's my handle on Instagram. It's probably the easiest. Um, you can send me a message on there or, or whatnot. And, uh, I really appreciate you, Mike. I really love this podcast. I listen to it a lot. Um, you need to get it on Stitcher though. I only, I, I prefer that app. Um, but yeah, you've been a light at go abundance, man. I've, I've, I've really appreciated hearing, hearing from you ever since you joined. So thank you. You're a big it's, asset to the group. Appreciate that, man. It's always good to hear the feedback and I am texting my team right now. We need to be on Stitcher. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, for me. It's much more user friendly than Apple, uh, Apple Podcast app. Cool, we'll get it done. Well, again, go out there, be awesome. Appreciate your time, man. All right, cool. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. Cheers. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take thirty seconds and leave me a five star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.